Hey, it's the JRR You Talking to Me podcast. I'm here with Jude Fox, and my name is Rob Law, by the way. And uh, Jude, how are you doing today? Are you ready to talk about the OG Tolkien film, the animated version of The Hobbit today? I think I am. I've been uh, getting together with some animation studios and uh, working out all the kinks. All right, you kinky devil. I'm glad you working out the kinks. Um, before we uh, like uh, get into breaking down the movie scene by scene, uh, Jude's going to give us a little uh, backstory on the uh, production, maybe a little context um, surrounding the making of the animated Hobbit in 1977. Well, mostly what we're going to be uh, getting into here is really the company that made the Hobbit movie, which was uh, Rankin and Bass, or Rankin Bass, uh, and you might know them from such classics as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the stop-motion animated television special, along with uh, Frosty the Snowman in 1969, Santa Claus is Coming to Town in 1970, The Year Without a Santa Claus, in 1974, and then they got to making The Hobbit in 1977, uh, followed up by Return of the King in 1980, which we will be getting to on a later episode. Uh, and then past that, they did the theatrical version of The Last Unicorn, the animated one. Uh, and then uh, in the mid-80s, they really got popular on television with a shows such as Thundercats and Silverhawks. And um, the uh, the founders of the company, uh, Arthur Rankin Jr., had uh, just, well, not just, but he passed away at the age of 89 in 2014. And uh, Jules Bass, in fact, just, uh, just passed away uh, five days prior to recording this podcast episode, and that was on October 25th, 2022, um, at the age of 87 in Rye, New York. And um, so that's a little bit about uh, so the people who made this this film we're about to just discuss. Just a, a little aside about those Christmas episodes, they were yep. always a little, a little creepy to me. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, the year without a Santa Claus in particular, uh, it has uh, the heat miser and cold miser s- segments. And, uh, yeah, as a child, like, you, that tends to get under your skin a little bit. Even just, I don't know, just the way things moved was a little little freakish to me. I yeah, always felt it. There's a stylistic... Uh, thing about that form of stop motion i think that that is a little bit uncanny valley a lot of that creepiness though uh does work in this hobbit uh film so let's uh go through the scene by scene and actually break this thing down and and really talk about it so we start off with the uh the first page of the novel the hobbit it's an illustrated um depiction of where Bilbo lives, his part of the uh, town of Hobbiton. Uh, anyway, so the narrator gives a little backstory about Middle-earth, talks about the elves and the dwarves and the men and dragons and goblins. And then we uh, uh, move into the Shire and we see Bilbo is cleaning his hobbit hole. That, that sounds wrong. But Jude, it's not a dirty old wet dirty nasty hole isn't it it's not you sure about that that's I mean, what they say did, did you look closely i did and you know what it was a dry clean comfortable hobbit hole well that's nice to know it smelled great i'm glad you got a good whiff so <laughs> we get a bunch of we get a, a mystery music it's it's real mysterious 1970s mystery music and gandalf comes out of nowhere and he invites Bilbo to join an adventure. And he says the famous line, I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. He doesn't say it in the Ian McKellen kind of, and Gandalf means me. He's, and Gandalf means me. He's a big, it's big. 
And um, he says it in a more John Houston kind of yeah, way. Actually, yeah, actually, true. I didn't. I, I'm never going to imitate anything accurately. Just ha- in my impression. Um, so, and the dwarves oddly start. They kind of start popping out of nowhere from like behind bushes, and one's coming down the road, and one's got a donkey. Uh, you know, they're just a, or a pony. Um, but yeah, they, the weird, they they came out like they were Harfoots. Actually, yeah. yeah, they had like daisies in their hair and stuff. Pretty much, like it wasn't too far off from that, right? Uh, no, they and they were all they were all just kind of hiding, you know, in the uh, in the rocks and in the grass and it, it very. Um, it was a little childlike, I think, if you were looking at it as um, you know, a lot of a lot of what happens in this is going to be catering to um, like a general audience, a G audience, not even a PG. Oh, definitely audience. So um, when we see these dwarves, they are you know dwarfy dwarves. They're silly. They're kind of uh, they all seem pretty old. They look like they're gray bearded dwarves, but um, yet yeah, childlike. So there's a sort of a minor key kind of like shanty, like a sea shanty type song that they're singing in the background, the dwarves, as they as they pop up and they're singing about their imminent journey that uh, they're going to undertake. And uh, then Thorne introduces uh, each of the dwarves. And um, Jude, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the, the voice actors for this? Yeah, well, um, you know, Thorin himself is played by um, Hans Conried. Conried, I, I believe you pronounce it. Conried? Anyway, um, he was uh, primarily a, an actor and a voice actor and uh, did, a, did some work, interestingly, including a, the Grinch. He played the Grinch in a... Halloween is Grinch night, not in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but um, but in another one of the Doctor Seuss specials and some other Doctor Seuss stuff. He, We're he did quite a bit of talk a little bit more about the Grinchness. Yes, we will. That's in fact why I specifically brought that up. Um, and then uh, in addition to him, uh, we've got uh, of course um Orson Bean who played a uh, Bilbo, and um, he recently passed away in 2020. And was still working right up until uh, until that year, right before he he passed. No relation to Sean Bean, uh, Boromir. N- not as far as I uh, I saw. Yeah. One's American, one's British. Yeah, it's still you know you never know. But um, and then um, our other biggest name here, um, perhaps one of if not the biggest in the cast is a. Uh, John uh, Houston, who played Gandalf, and John Houston was a legendary actor. Um, he was in movies including Chinatown and the original Casino Royale. Um, he was a director. He directed the Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart, um, as well as a writer. And um, a lot of people will also know him as uh, the father to Angelica Houston. Uh, his family is Hollywood royalty. Yep. All right. That's a, a pretty big uh, cast there. Um, not a not a large cast, but just big in terms of the uh, the talent. Um, and, and Rob, what are your feelings about the uh, the fact that most of the cast has American accents? Well, you know, I I don't know. I mean, they say that you know you should be able to shoot. Why do why do fantasy shows set in medieval settings? Why are they British? Um, often even set in space, like Star Wars. <laughs> There's a lot of British accents happening. And for me, the medieval shows, uh, I don't know, I find them a little bit more believable when there's a, a British accent because America wasn't around in the Middle Ages. That's the only reason. Um, it just puts me in that more in that world, but it doesn't, uh, you know, disqualify anything. American accents is okay with me. Yeah, I, th- I think we may be looking at it a little biased as well being american i think someone not from here may have a different view on it i'm not sure i'm just speculating so um then we get into the uh the chip the glasses song which they also do in the jackson film chip the glasses break the plates 
crack the plates, right? Crack the plates. Um, which is, uh, it's a little odd in this, considering that Bilbo is uh, much more welcoming <laughs> than he seems to be in either the books or the, in the book or the films. Um, he didn't really seem to complain too much. And uh, so inside Gandalf is going to tell Bilbo about the burglar job opportunity that he has with these dudes. Does um, it come with health benefits? Uh, no, actually, it comes with a, you got to sign a waiver in case you die. Funerary benefit. <laughs> so there's Song of the Lonely Mountain. They're singing, and that's a, I think that's another one that they had in the in the film yes. or something like it. Yes, and that was really, really beautifully done in the, in the film. And in, in this, it's, it's okay. It's sort of in the background. Yeah. That, um, that comes straight from the books as well. Um, but they definitely do a different version of it in both, uh, this and the live action. Right. And, uh, Gandalf kind of starts to begin to sway Bilbo, um, talking about adventure and his it's in his nature and he shares with the dwarves a love of beautiful things some foreshadowing when you really look into this stuff um there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the background sometimes in the music and sometimes in the subtlety of of what they say sometimes it's a little bit uh, childlike but but a lot of times there is a sort of richness to it um so thorin uh tells the backstory of smaug and his people and how they lived. Um, we get a montage of dwarves and how they work and their craftsmanship. We see them working in their in their mines and in their workshops and how they uh, gave gifts to the elves and formed alliances with the elves. Um, and then Smaug attacked and it, uh, because of their wealth, because of the legend of their wealth, and I think we see some of the best animation in the film here in the sequence of the telling of Smaug's attack. The destruction of Dale? Yeah. Can you, you, you want to talk a little bit about the animation style? Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting quality to the animation style, and that has a lot to do with uh, the, the painted quality of a lot of the backgrounds and even um, some of the characters, like on their faces, not everything is defined with uh, hard lines. Instead, uh, you'll just see color on color, which, um, which isn't all that common, especially in modern animation, uh, you know, 2D animation, that is, to, to see. So um, it's, it's definitely got a sort of uniqueness to it. An impressionistic which, quality in the background, right. too. Yep. Not too sharp, but but the sort colors of, the colors are muted, sort um, of watercolory. Yeah, um, some of the artistic choices we're going to comment on they're just kind of comical, um, but certainly not the backdrops. The backdrops are pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, they give Bilbo the the contract, and Gandalf kind of just accepts for him in this version of it. I, we don't even see him signing it. I don't think <laughs> um, Gandalf's just like, yeah, he's he's good. And then we get the title sequence with the quivery folk voice singing um, The Greatest Adventure. It's a classic. The Greatest Adventure. Fuck all other adventures. You suck. The lion and the witch in the wardrobe. This is way better than you. I don't know. Oh, come on. That, that, that charted to like number two on the top billboards, didn't it? They, you know, this is the greatest adventure. And, you know, it is the gateway drug to Tolkien for the 70s and 80s generation children. Straight uh, into your veins. Anyway, um, Bilbo's on the road with the dwarves now, and he's complaining about everything because he doesn't have the comforts of this hobbit home. Say, Rob, did you find it odd, by the way, that... um. That it seemed they kept referring to it. You mentioned the Shire, but they kept referring to it as Hobbiton, but not the Shire. They don't they, actually they mention do the, Shire, the Shire, do they? Do they? One, one time. Yeah. Okay, okay. I didn't. Didn't. Yep. I was looking for it when they were reading the the first page. I think they they mentioned the Shire hmm. as they were transitioning into the story just once. Okay. But anyway, he doesn't have a handkerchief. He doesn't have his pipe. That does suck. I mean, two things you could easily put in your fucking pocket. Anyway, um, Gandalf tells him to think of good things whenever he's uh, uncomfortable or miserable or being attacked, and he's going to list all the good things in his life every time he's nervous. Anyway, so um, then we're at camp at night, 
And it, it, look, it's trolls. They find some trolls eating some mutton, complaining about their mutton, and they want some other stuff to eat, like little people I think would be good. Anyway, so Gandalf's gone. They don't know where he went. And the dwarves uh, tell Bilbo to steal the trolls' meat. And you know what happens to Bilbo, Jude? Uh, I believe he makes good friends with the trolls and has has a couple drinks, right? Yep. Okay. He, uh, he gets caught right. by the trolls. Oh, damn it. And, and then he... He immediately rats out the dwarves who they didn't know were there. He starts screaming, run, run, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and that cues the trolls into the fact that the dwarves are even there. Yeah, right. Like, um, what the fuck, Bilbo? Seriously, that's a that's a pretty dumbass thing to do. Uh, you know, like you said, trolls had no idea that the dwarves were even there, but... Uh, uh, also, by the way, one of the trolls has, uh, he's got like full-blown tusk-like facial horns. Oh, yeah. Well, we get a lot of that in this, uh, in the designs of this animation. A lot of, lot of saber-toothed tusk-like horns yeah, we'll, and things on everything. We'll see it come up at least two more times. Yeah. So the trolls uh, capture them all. And but no worries, Gandalf's gonna save the day because he gets them to argue amongst themselves until the sun comes up, right, Rob? Mm, nah, no, not really. No. Gandalf, it seems like Gandalf uh. just kind of summons the sun. Oh, damn it! And he's like, Excellent, well, good for you, Gandalf. Yep, and Bilbo uh finds the troll horde in the cave, not the, not the troll horde, Jude. Stop, put your wallet away. Mm-hmm. It's the troll horde. Anyway, um, they get the uh, the fine elven blades that they find there, and Gandalf shows them the runes on the swords. Um, and Bilbo finds a nice dagger, and he seems to be getting a little bit of... He's excited. He's going to use it on Smaug <laughs> in his imaginary little world there. He's like, I'm going to stab you, Smaug. And what, what does Gandalf say that the uh, elven runes mean? He don't know. He doesn't. How how does he not know? What the heck? Come on, Gandalf. He don't know. You gotta take it to Elrond. But oh, anyway. Boy. Gandalf presents Thorin with the map. He's been holding on to it for like a hundred years. He got it from Thorin's dad. And uh now's the time he decided to give it to him. Why? Because uh fuck you, I'm Gandalf, that's why. Thorin's a little salty about it. Yeah, but Gandalf is like, I just do things in my own time, bitch. I'm Gandalf. And I have to say, Gandalf seems a bit omniscient in this version of things. Yeah, he's more like a more like a, a an omniscient narrator at times. Seems he's, he's he seems not of the flesh, Jude, but over flesh. Ooh, I see what you did there. I don't know. I think that. Anyway, so um, you know, they bust out the map. B- Bilbo gets all up in there. He's like, I'm good at reading maps, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, and he, he just, like, has all kinds of ideas that just turn out to be right. One, two, three. It seems like that. He finds the secret passage to the map. Yeah. And then the map uh, will eventually, it'll eventually tell them where to use the key that Gandalf gives them. Right, but that uh, that, that's coming up in the next scene or so. Right. So Gandalf takes them to Rivendell. And Elrond is hosting the dwarves at a long table in what looks to be like a, almost like a lodge kind of place. It reminded me of um, Bayorn's little lodge, but this is in Rivendell. Anyway, so, um, and so El- Elrond, let's talk about him oh, for let's. a second, because this is kind of crazy. So Elrond is, he's kind of old looking for an elf. He's got gray beard. He's got gray hair. Well, it's kind of, is it gray or white? I mean... Uh... It, it looks gray. It's definitely not white. Okay. And here's the thing. He's got a halo of gleaming spheres of light around his head. Yeah, I, uh, I feel that... Uh... Just above the brow. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel that uh, the uh, Rings of Power really missed a step in not... Referen- referencing this version of Elrond, uh, 
you know, for their characterization. Because that would have been amazing. Yeah, he and he was the only elf with that. <laughs> of course. Like, why so, would you have a different one? I mean, we'll talk about some of the other elves later on in this this production. So he he um, he tells the dwarves about the swords. Yeah. Um, that they were from the the wars with the trolls in the first age, not the trolls, the uh, the goblins. goblins. Same thing. And one of them. Oh well, no, no, no! Sorry, trolls are not the same. There might have been some trolls then. Some uh, orcs. Yeah, goblins but this is and the, orcs. The name of his same thing. and the name of his sword is Orcrist, which is the goblin, goblin cleaver. cleaver, and the other sword is Glamring, the foe hammer. So um, Elrond looks at the map, and by the way, Bilbo is the one who's carrying the map in this, um, and he reads the moon letters, which um, are letters you can only see by moonlight. Well, hence the name. Yep. And directions that gives them the directions to the secret door of the mountain that um, they're going to find. And Elrond gives them the prophecy about the thrush knocking. And so it's like stand by the gray stone where the, when the thrush knocks. On the, on the last l- light of Durin's day. Last light mm-hmm. of the setting sun in this. They don't mention yeah. Durin's day at all. And so the last light is going to shine on the keyhole. And um, now next we have the party is um, crossing the mountain path. Um, Great scene in the Jackson film when the mountains turn into these giant rock people and start fighting and throwing rocks at each other. That was cool. Yeah, that... That doesn't happen in this. Or in the books. No. But, you know, there's like some, it, it was a liberty that they took with the poetry of the books. Right. Um, anyway, they camp in the mountain cave and Gandalf, he's gone again. Because he does that. Yeah. He just, yeah, he's a wizard. Anyway, uh, Bilbo wakes up. He, he had a dream, um, a chip the glasses dream. I don't know. It was weird. And uh, we get it's the, uh, it's the coolest thing we're about to get because what we're about to get is what we got in the TV show. We got orcs and or goblins. We're going to call them goblins because it's the Hobbit. They're going to do a goblin song. Gotta love goblin music. It's not Nomfat. Ooh, ooh. No, no. Much earlier hit. This one is down, down to Goblin Town. Down, down to Goblin Town. And these goblins, they look a little bit bulldogish in the face or, or, or almost like a triceratops. They got the saber tooth fangs sticking up and the horns on their head like a big bull. But they look like bullfrogs. I don't <laughs> know. Um, Frogs with teeth. Yeah. And so anyway, the party of dwarves and Bilbo, they're going to get held prisoner and brought to the Great Goblin. And the Great Goblin, upon learning about the swords, or Mm -hmm. at least one of the sword. He he don't love it. One of the sword. uh, He's going to, you know, the goblins recognize these weapons. It's they killed so many of them with them in the old in the first age. That they have an ancestral memory. Yeah, it's it's like parents tell their kids, "Honey, if you don't behave, the goblin cleaver is going to get you." Yep. So they and so when he finds this out, he's about to he he about to eat Thorin. He just walks up to him, mouth agape, like open up wide. He's about to swallow him whole, and then all of a sudden Gandalf appears, and he's got the foe hammer. Um, and which is that sword, the other sword. And we see the great goblin cower in fear of it. And it's a very kid-friendly death that Gandalf deals the great goblin. We see he gets sort of sucked into a, like a cartoonish spiraling (laughs) vortex (laughs) (laughs) of magic. And uh, then we see the sword appear and then Gandalf's hand... And see, Gandalf has the sword held high when we cut back um, to this dimension. And uh, then all is well. Gandalf has saved the day again, and he's going to lead them out of the cave into the opening. But guess what happens to Bilbo? 
Well, he, he, he stays right behind them and makes it out in one piece as he should, right? Wow, you must be writing the television show. Um, I'm, I'm writing the family-friendly version. You're writing the, the version where everything is completely different from the lore. <laughs> Who would ever do that? Hmm. But um, Bilbo falls into a crevasse, my friend. Have you ever fallen that, into a crevasse, Jude? Yeah, but I don't like to talk about it. Let's move on. Okay. So um, We're trying to keep this family friendly. Yes. So now we go uh, to the Gollum scene. We got the Gollum scene. And Gollum is very frog-like in this. He does not look at all like um, something that mutated from Harfoot form. No, no. From store. He was supposed to be a store. But uh, yeah, no, he does not look like that. No, but he looks kind of cool. I, I remember that this was the, the scene that got me into reading the book. When I saw this, they showed this film in the library of my elementary school. And I remember sitting on the floor and seeing it. And I was fascinated by Gollum because I'd never seen a bad guy like that before mm-hmm. at all. Um, but the scene is pretty faithful to the book. And uh, Gollum's a kind of haunting figure. He's more yeah. complex, like I said, than uh, almost any villain typically associated with children's animation. And they play that riddle game. And as he's playing it, of course, Gollum, is it is it scrumptious? He's talking about eating him the whole time. I don't <laughs> think that that's fair. <laughs> a little intimidation. You know, he's obviously lonely because he's playing games with this uh, this thing. And uh, Riddle Games. And Gollum, by the way, is played by um, Theodore... Uh, Theodore uh, Brother Go- Theodore. Yes. Theodore Go- Gotibi, Gotib, I, I believe. Um, yes, better known as Brother Theodore, who is an actor and a comedian and a regular on the David Letterman show. On yes. The Tonight show. And after this podcast is over, immediately go to YouTube and Google Brother Theodore, David Letterman. It's... Amazing! It's well worth if it. If you have not seen it. Brother Theodore is Gollum. I'm sure Andy Serkis uh, got a lot from him. So anyway, um, you know, I noticed that during, um, during this scene, there's a creepy song that happens. About, yeah. It's, it's one of the riddles, and the answer to the riddle is the dark. And so the song is all about this riddle Um, but the darkness is obviously foreshadowing about the ring, um, because we're cutting to like the location that Gollum hides the ring while the song is playing in the background. It's really haunting. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a way of them also fitting in an extra riddle into, uh, into this scene, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But just particularly about darkness and and the dark, um, and the, if you listen to the words closely, it, it seems like darkness engulfs the world in this riddle. So, and as does the darkness of the ring. So uh, when Bilbo guesses the answers for one of Gollum's riddle, which is the answer is time, another big theme, um, Bilbo's, it's Bilbo's turn. And he asks Gollum, of course, what he's got in his pocket in his nasty little pocketses. (laughs) And Gollum, Bilbo cheats. Yeah, Gollum feels like he's cheating, so he's going to be like, I'm going to be right back. He plans to go get the ring, of course, and come back and 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 eat Bilbo, all invisible-like. And so he gets back. He, Ironically, the thing that was in Bilbo's pocket was the ring, of course. We all know this. And And incidentally, uh, Bilbo, early on, mentions the fact that um, he has dwarves and wizards with him. Which, once again, just ratting everyone out. Like, you know, he doesn't know what's going to come of that. Right. So, anyway, um, you know, we get the whole thing where Bilbo, he figures out that the ring has invisibility powers. And he follows Gollum out as Gollum, you know, believes that he tried to escape through the route and Gollum's goes to chase him he ironically is following Gollum he feels he knows his way and he was a liar yeah and he says he hates it he hates it forever Gollum screams as Bilbo makes his escape 
Yeah. And then Bilbo meets up with Gandalf and the dwarves and tells them about Gollum, but he does not tell them about the ring. But somebody knows. Yes. You know, when he says, Bilbo says his burglar skills, that's what got him through Unseen. But Gandalf's like, oh, your story has the ring ring of of truth. truth. You see what I did there? (laughs) I'm Gandalf. Did you see what I did? Definitely rings true. It rings true, Bilbo. Then we get um, the warg uh, goblin, if uh, uh, 15 birds in five fir trees situation happening here. What I would say is the best piece of music in the movie, my opinion, but best piece of music in the film. Yeah. Well, I don't think so. Well, we will have to agree to disagree then, won't we? No. I mean, I like, uh, I kind of like the the Down Down to Goblin Town song. I enjoy that. I enjoy that too, but. uh, The song is, is, it's it's cool. It's macabre. It's strange. It's uh, unique. We, and I like it, but. It's definitely macabre. It's, you know, they're, they're. Telling these people, you know, they're listing the ways it's, they might kill them. It's weird because it's kind of in a major key, which makes it happy-ish sounding. It is um, a little upbeat. That's true. It's like a murderous barbershop quartet. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's like something from Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Sweeney Todd is unbelievable, the music in that. But uh, we get uh, the fire and the wolves and the wargs. And we think all hope is gone, but then the eagles come and save the day, even though they don't really know if the eagles plan to do them harm or not. But the eagles are uh, there, and they're not super large. Um, they're they're big. They're big birds. But, you know, um, Thorondor in the Silmarillion is said to have a wingspan of 60 yards, Jude. That's 180 feet. The, That's a more the, than half a football field. The eagle in this, um, I don't know what, about 10, ten feet? 10 foot. <laughs> so, you know. Maybe a little more. A little, little bit smaller than like perhaps it should have been. Like a condor. Yeah, like a large condor. Anyway, um, they when the eagles put them down, they don't put them down in their um, eerie. They put them down in... Uh, Mirkwood and the Eagle, I, I think it's should be Thorondor. Um, he's the head Eagle. Yep. Uh, he thanks Gandalf for you know for having saved him, healed him from an arrow wound, which is Cannon. in the books. Mm. Um, Anyway, so now they're in Mirkwood, and they got to make it through Mirkwood, and, um, and Gandalf is not going to go in there with them. And, and by the way, here they have cut out a great character, which is Bjorn. Oh, yeah. There's no Bjorn. Bjorn should be right, right around here. Yeah. But but no. And I really love the expansion of the Bjorn scene in the, in the movie. Yeah, I'm, one of my favorite things. We'll be getting to that soon enough, I'm sure. So they're um, they're in Mirkwood, and Gandalf doesn't go in there with them. He's got business in the south, and you know what? He's already late because of bothering with you people. <sighs> Racist. <laughs> with you people. Um, but you know who they have instead of Gandalf? They've got Mr. Baggins. Boy, do they. You know? Um, it's sort of all about Bilbo's growth as a potential leader. Gandalf tells Bilbo to, uh, he wants him to keep a very strict log for the remainder of the journey. So Gandalf can tell him where he fucked up along the way. Yes. (laughs) So I can point out your missteps. It's, it's kind of a flex slash dick move on Gandalf's part, if you ask me. (laughs) Gandalf is a total asshole. You write down everything that you do and then I'll tell you. Everything Why you did you wrong. Suck. <laughs> so anyway, um, he, you know what he, he says? Uh, they're, they're playing a song. It says, the mold of your life is in your hands to break. Very existential. I don't know. You, I think you could just clean off the mold of your life with some Lysol. 
that doesn't always work. Oh. I'm here to tell you. You got to go see a doctor about the mold of your life. Oh, damn it. Anyway, the mold of your life can turn into the mold of your death, Jude. All right, I'm getting uncomfortable So Bilbo, um, he climbs uh, the trees to see the the layout, the lay of the land. Incidentally, sorry to take it back a quick second, though, but there's also no mention right there of why Gandalf is leaving, which, of course, as we know, would be uh, to deal with the necromancer. Right. And uh, it's a... kind of a major factor in the books and uh yeah that's totally uh, eliminated from the story right here oddly enough because yeah. that's one of the most intriguing things ever what the necromancer of uh, the necromancer what well, who's yeah. that what is that what do you what that sounds epic anyway so he climbs the trees and he sees the beautiful butterflies and uh, he wonders if he ever even wants to see his hole again, Jude. You know, I mean, just bring along a mirror and you should be fine. Just doesn't need to check it anymore. Um, because you know why? He broke the mold of his life. Oh, well, you know, as long as the mold's gone. And so, you know, we think, okay, mate, Bilbo is learning He's making friends along the way. He's learning. But then we get back and what? Spiders, dude. Spiders. Yeah. All right. Those spiders have always creeped me out like when I was a kid and they still do now when That's I'm watching every it. spider. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you. Yeah. They're creepy. So the dwarves, uh, he gets back. The dwarves have been cocooned by giant spiders. And let me tell you something. They look a little bit hideous with their drooly fangs, and they're all pointy. Um, but they also look a little bit cute, Jude. Well, you know, they've got great big mouths, which, like, spiders don't have. Because essentially what a spider does is they liquefy you, and then they suck out your juices. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, even sp- spiders that do have mouth openings, they're not usually very large. It, and, sounds, uh, like you're, it sounds like you're really... Uh, Really stuck on these spiders, aren't you? I I hate the spiders. Getting into detail about their mouths. (laughs) Um, But you know what they did? They almost have like rabbit-like antenna. The rabbit ear-like antenna to sort of cuten them up a little bit for the kids. And they have two eyes. Not the creepy creepy eight eyes. Doesn't make them that much cuter. The creepy eight eyes is so, you know, cold and menacing. That's what they don't have. That would be too realistic. True. They, they, they've they got uh, more insect-like eyes than arachnid eyes. So um, Bilbo puts on the ring, and he throws a rock to distract the spiders. They go running after the rock. He cuts the dwarves out of the cocoons, but the spiders come back, and then Bilbo kills one of them with Sting, and then he puts on the ring, and they can only see the sword Sting, so they think that the sword is the thing that's attacking them, and they yeah. can't handle it, and they run away from Sting. And interestingly, he uh, he screams out Adderkop at them uh, one time, which uh, is uh, is in the books, although it's elaborated in the books. And uh, what it is, it's an old English term meaning spider. Um, and uh, he basically says it in different uh, different types of speech in the book um, and different languages, whereas here he just kind of yells at once. So it's a little awkward, but uh, it's still a nice book reference to have in there because, uh, once again, Tolkien, linguist, but um bum Okay. So um, they get away from the spiders, and then they go to the palace of the elf king, uh, but Thorin won't tell the elves why he's in their realm. So they take Just him prisoner. Just because, fuck you. Yeah, because it's Thorin. And they take the dwarves prisoner. Um, but apparently the wood dwarves are, uh, they're wood part, elves. part wood elves. Not wood dwarves. That's no such thing. Wood dwarves. They hate the woods. Yeah. Wood elves. They're part Grinch, uh, part Kaiser Wilhelm. They are German-accented. They, they look like fucking ghoulies. They have... That's what they look like. They, they look like have fucking gray, ghoulies. They have gray skin. Yeah, they, they. I'm expecting one of them to come up a toilet and attack me. If you showed me that before the production I and you didn't label it, I would say that is an orc. 
they do look Maybe. very orc-like, yes. So, I mean, ugh, they anyway. So it's okay. I mean, I, I guess they're 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 elves. Uh, they don't look anything like Elrond. I'll tell you that much. Not a whole lot. So Bilbo puts on the rings and he gets the dwarves out of the cage by stealing the keys to the cells. And he goes, uh, he gets, they go into the barrels and they go um, down the river to Lake Town. And uh, inter- in- in- interestingly, uh, incidentally, as, uh, as they're leaving, it's a, you know, little bit for me to bring up here is, uh, you know, they, they all seem to have German accents. I think you mentioned that part. Uh, but, uh, uh, bleh. Thranduil, Thranduil, sorry, uh, Thranduil, Thranduil, the uh, the king of the elf king, uh, who is by the way Legolas's father, looks a lot like him in, in this iteration. By the way, um, is here played by um, Austro-Hungarian actor uh, Otto Ludwig Premiger, Premiger, Premiger. Um, who, by the way, uh, played Mr. Freeze in two episodes of the Adam West Batman series, as well as uh, co-starring in the classic film Stalag 17, and appearing as a guest several times on Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Wow. So, a little history there. So, um, that's fascinating stuff. So the the men of Lake Town um, find them and they fish them out of the river in the barrels, and then Thorin plops out, and Thorin is actually he's celebrated as the returning dwarven king, and Bard vows to um, help them with this uh, smaug situation. Right. Well, um, by the way, we meet Burt Reynolds. I mean, I mean Bard. Uh, that At would that be point. awesome if he was voiced by Burt Reynolds. He looks like Burt Reynolds. Smoky and the bandit style. He looks like, like Burt Reynolds in this. That wink. Um, People, so if, you're, if you watch it, tell me I'm wrong. He's a guardsman, Bard. And uh, Bard trusts that um, when he helps the dwarves that they're, they're going to be gracious and they're going to have gratitude for the help of the men of Lake Town. Mm. I guess he's never dealt with dragon sickness which they don't really mention. It's just sort of dickishness in this version. Um, so anyway, uh, two weeks later, they get some supplies from the men of Lake Town, and they're headed up to the mountain, um, and they're searching for the keyhole. Um, why, why do you make it sound dirty again? And they're searching that smelly old mountain for the keyhole, and it is stanky. It is a stanky keyhole. You know why it's stanky? It's stanky from the dragon. Dragons make it stank. Dragon stank. He got the dragon stank all over. And uh, the dwarves are looking for the keyhole. And Bilbo remembers about the shining on the keyhole of the last light of the sun. And then it's happening. It's actually the sun is shining on the keyhole. And Thorin has the key. And they open the thing. And How convenient. Then they wonder, what now? What are we going to do now? Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to... Kick that halfling in the ass and send him in there. Yeah, they're sending their burglar in. That's why they hired him. He's already saved their ass three, four times, but... Well, he, he he did screw him over with the trolls there. So I, I think that should count for <laughs> minus one. Yeah. They don't seem to notice that. Um, but, uh... So, so, Jude, explain now why Bilbo is on this journey in this version of the story and, and compare it to the books. Ah, that is a, that's a little tough one to explain because uh, there's not a whole lot of explanation, to be honest. Um, I mean, yes, they send him in to um, retrieve some treasure, uh, seemingly as proof that A, the treasure is there, and B, to see what is going on with Smaug because, of course... Well, we know in the books, it's not really said clearly in this version of the movie, that uh, nobody has seen Smaug in many years. So they don't even know if he's still alive, first of all. 
And, uh, of course, the dwarves don't, none of them want to be first one in if he does happen to be alive. Um, and in the books now, uh, we know that uh, their plan, if the dragon is in fact alive, is basically to send Bilbo back and forth to loot what he can and then make off with that. Um, as opposed to actually recapturing um, Erebor. Instead, the plan was for him to just gather some of the valuables that the dwarves could cart or off if uh, if that was all they could get. And in particular, of course, the Arkenstone, which is uh, the heart of the mountain, which Thorin, above all others, cared about and wanted. And that whole part is completely eliminated from the movie completely. So... In terms of why they really needed Bilbo here, other than to see whether or not um, Smaug was still alive, it's a little unclear in, in this iteration. Right. Well, so Bilbo goes in and he has a bit of a crisis of conscience, in a sense. He um, decides that he's going to man up and face Smaug on his own. In the dragon's lair. So um, now Smaug is in this iteration, he is very matter of fact. Like when Bilbo's in there, he's kind of like, he's already done with him. He's like, I see you. I feel your air. I don't like you. I smell you. Blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes. You need to bathe. Um, So uh, Bilbo praises Smaug and... Um, Smog, but Smog doesn't know him. He's like, well, you'd seem to know me, but I've never smelt you before. And I know some smells. Yeah, I never smelt that. What is that? Anyway, so Bil- Bilbo starts giving him a whole list of titles. And this is almost like the um, example of all the things that Bilbo has become since taking this journey. Yeah. And what a transformed character he is. Um... Uh, he is the spider stinger. He's the barrel rider. He is um, the guest of eagles. He who drowns his friends and draws them out of the water again. He is the ring winner. Um, so Smug thinks he's from Lake Town. Well, that's when he gets to the next one, which is barrel rider. Right. Well, the barrel rider, you must be from Lake Town, I yeah. guess. And, so uh, I think the, I'm going to destroy it now. The the interaction, by the way, in b- between Smaug and uh, Bilbo is terrific. And Smaug, in this version, is played by the great Richard Boone, who um, is perhaps best known as Paladin on Have Gun, Will Travel, the classic Western series, which if anyone has not checked that out or is familiar with it, I highly recommend it. It's a terrific, terrific series. Okay, so check that out. Anyway, so Smaug, um, he is going to lay waste to um, Lake Town, but before he does, he goes off about how powerful and formidable he is. He has and, to boast a little bit. Yeah, and Bilbo sees the weakness in his uh, left breast region. He sees where the scale's been shot out. Your left booby. Um, by the, the black arrow. And the gap in, so that's a gap in his armor. And um, Bilbo gets out um, with his ass on fire because he had to take off the ring and taunt Smaug on his way out of the dragon's lair. That is how much confidence this little hobbit has gained. So, um. Arrogance will get you killed. Right. So Smaug, um, he attacks Lake Town. Yeah. But Bilbo tells the thrush, the little bird. To tell Bard about the weakness in Smaug's breast. You know, Bard at first, he's like, get the fuck out of here, you fucking bird. Trying to slay a dragon, and and, then the bird gave him some good info. And and incidentally, as Smaug's attacking Lake Town, there's actually a a scene where he burns people, and somebody is on fire jumping into the water, and Bard is standing there screaming, stand your ground! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what happened to most of the people. Um, so, so we see, uh, 
Smaug in the distance, and, and Bard sees him. He warns the people. The archers shoot at Smaug, but uh, to no avail because of his armor, and Smaug burns the port, and that's what happens is what you just said. And um, the bird tells Bard about the weakness, the weak spot, and then Bard shoots the black arrow. Which, by the way, the, the thrush telling Bard about the weakness is directly from the books. Uh, the only real change that I noticed they made is where in the film version, Bilbo tells the thrush to uh, to tell Bard about this, whereas in the book, uh, I believe the thrush overhears about it and then goes and, and informs Bard. But uh, it's very... Independent thrush action. Yeah, it, it's very close, though. It's a, it is a element in the books. So... Um Anyway, you know that the black arrow um, was forged by the true king under the mountain. So I don't know. That's what they say. I don't know what that arrow is made out of, but that's where it was forged. So um, Smaug is uh, hit in his weak spot and defeated. And then we cut back to Thorin and the dwarves, and they're celebrating, although they don't know that Smaug is dead. He just hasn't been back for like a week. So, um, and Thorin is having them, um, basically, uh, categorize or, um, tally up their wealth and pack it up for shipment. They're, they're going to be selling it on eBay. Yeah. I don't know where it's going. Maybe a little um, bit on Amazon. But I, I mean, guess uh, that makes sense considering they think Smag might come back. Yeah. But, the, um, the, the shitty stuff they sell on Wish. <laughs> But uh, anyway, they uh, they go to leave the mountain, and they find um, that there are two armies. Oh, um, do they find out that Smaug is dead here? Uh, uh, they're about sure. to. They're about to. They they see the right. armies first, and then when uh, when Bard parlays with Thorin, that's right. He he informs them. Bard is now the king of Lake Town. Yeah. And they're going to need some payback because Smaug destroyed everything in Lake Town, and that was basically because of them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love how Bilbo gives a, gives Bard, a, like, a hearty handshake, you know. It's, it's almost a gang handshake that he gives him when he, when he tells him about that uh, he's killed the dragon. So um, also camped out are the Wood Elves. Ah, those wood elves. You know? Um, oh, by the way, Thorin's not giving up any of this treasure. It's more than you could ever spend in a lifetime, but he doesn't want to give the men of Lake Town their share. That's his. He's a dick. I, I mean, look, look, in fairness, you know, Bard was the one that said, hey, you know, I, I trust that you'll do the right thing. You know, he never said he was going to. No. But does he have the dragon sickness? He did in the movies. He, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little bit implied, but it's definitely not stated outright in this version. Well. He's just a he's dick. He's not doing the right thing here. Yeah, he's just a dick here. So the elves, um, according to um, their leader, so that's, um, what's his name again? Thranduil. 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 Anyway, we Ew. see him a lot. You say we it like see that. Ew. Thranduil. We see him in the movies. He is Legolas's dad, not a green German guy. But, not a um, Grinch. He is a green, Grinchy German. Um, so he says the elves have suffered greatly because of the worm, meaning Smaug, the, yes. through the years, and they demand retribution. So the elves want some of that treasure, and the men want some. And there's plenty to go around. Thorn's being a dick. So um, the elves and men are teaming up to kick the dwarves' arses. And uh, the dwarves, they don't seem to care. They put on the dwarven armor, and they give Bilbo some. Bilbo doesn't want to fight. He thinks it's a stupid thing. They've got Mithril. Um, anyway, uh, so Thorin's a dick again. He calls Bilbo a coward, even though Bilbo saved his ass numerous times. And he doesn't understand war. You're a coward, and you don't understand war. And Balin tells Thorin, hey, there's an army of dwarves there. 
from the Iron Hills. And that is Dayan. And so now there's three armies. And they are about to fight. And guess who pops up? It is Gandalf. Like the referee. And he stops them. Why does he stop them, Jude? He was calling a second and and, and third or whatever. Wow. Know, some football term. Wow. Yeah. Did you practice the timing of that? Uh, I, I, no, that no was awesome. I, I, I clearly did not. I, I, I clearly had no idea what I'm talking about because yeah. I, I don't watch football. He's like this. Uh, I don't watch American football. So, um, you know, he almost he, he threw the pitch and the batter almost got a touchdown. I, so, I, I'm afraid I don't watch. The, ru- I, don't, I don't watch rugby. You know, with a bunch of pads. So the goblin army is coming from the Misty Mountains. And so now the three armies are going to come together, the dwarves, the men, and the elves, and they're going to fight the goblins and the wargs. Yes, in the most insincere um, collaboration you've ever heard. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll come together. We'll, we'll be fine afterward. Don't worry about it, buddy. It doesn't yeah, matter. It's, 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 it's all good. So, um, and then they fight. Bilbo puts on the ring. He's He takes a knee. Basically, he's not, <laughs> he's not doing this fight, I don't think. He no. did any. He did some in the books, I believe, but he got knocked out. He came to and the Eagles were kicking some ass. Here, um, he's just more of a pacifist. And the three leaders are talking in the middle of the battle, and they're kind of like, it's a combination of the battle is hopeless, it's lost, but they're going to continue to fight. And then guess who shows up? Bayorn. Yeah, oh, wait. Bayorn starts k- ripping throats. No, no it's that's the, in the book. It's the Eagles, the Fifth Army, according to this version of the story. Yes. Well, no, that that, that is in the books as well. It's, that's the Fifth Army. Okay. I heard differently what did today you, when I was doing research what, what that the wargs and the uh, uh, goblins were two armies. Not not then, as counted by Bilbo, I don't believe. I believe Bilbo Bilbo counts the Eagles as the fifth. So the Eagles come and save the day after the battle. Um, and Bilbo takes off the ring, and he finds the aftermath of the war. And uh, oddly enough, in this child's version, seven of the dwarves um, out of the original, was it 12? 13. Is he the, he's the 14th. He's the 14th. So out of the lucky 13 number. dwarves, um, seven are still alive, but one more is dying, and that one more is Thorin. Yep, yep, yep. And, and he apologizes to Bilbo on his deathbed. He says, you are no coward, my friend. And it was I who did not understand war until now, meaning did not understand the horrors of war, as Bilbo had understood as more of a pacifist and, and incidentally we do see um like some scenery of some pretty brutal uh, carnage you know that had occurred at the end of the battle there like there's just a uh, men and elves and dwarves and goblins slash orcs and uh wargs like laying along the battlefield just you know with arrows sticking out of them and blood and like it's it's it was surprisingly uh, graphic for for such a family friendly cartoon. Right. Well, so everyone, uh, if if everyone was more like Bilbo, the world would be a much better place, according to Thorne. That's what he says right before he dies, yep. and then he dead. He did. So uh, Gandalf and Bilbo are back at the Shire. Oh, by the way, one thing we don't get to see, we don't. I'm sure I'll mention it again when we get to it, but we don't see it in either film, is the fact that um, the uh, the swords, Glamdring and uh, Orcrist, are supposed to glow when goblins are near or orcs are near, uh, just like Sting does. And um, in the book, it's, a, it's kind of an important thing that when uh, Thorin dies, he's buried in a tomb within the mountain and the sword Orchrist is put upon his tomb so that the it's a warning sign if uh orcs are ever trying to attack the mountain again and uh, that's left out of again both versions of of the films unfortunately but something worth noting anyway go on 
Okay. So um, we're we're back at the Shire. Hobbiton. And uh, Bilbo only took two bags of gold of all that... Uh, dummy. Dragon horde. What a little and dummy. And a small ring that he'll keep in a glass case on the shelf. Ha! But uh, Bilbo, you know, he doesn't want to hear Gandalf's uh, highfalutin philosophy about prophecy and fate. Bilbo thinks that he actively brought about everything that happened. He did his part. But Gandalf reminds him that, you know, he is just a small part. And all of his good luck um, when he narrowly escaped disaster was not mere, um, mere luck or chance. It was um, meant to be. It was meant to be, and he's only a small part of a much bigger plan. And uh, Gandalf tells Bilbo that if he's really, uh, if he really understood the ring that he found, as one of his descendants will someday, a little foreshadowing. Uh, the story um, has really just begun. Yeah, yeah. So this Gandalf knows that that's the one ring right now. Yeah, well, like, if he knows that that's the One Ring, then shouldn't he be able to uh, put plans in motion to take care of it sooner, thereby, like, saving countless people? I mean, if he uh, chose not to, wouldn't you say that uh, this version of Gandalf perhaps is actually the villain of the story? Um. I mean, this Gandalf. How many just, people does he let die? Jeez, he's much more of an omniscient, godlike presence than the other ones. But yeah, he if he <laughs> that's that's malpractice right there. That's wizard. That's oh, yeah. Istari malpractice. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he he could have you know he could have saved people in the fellowship. He could have saved. Um, People, uh, in, you know, during uh, the Battle of Pelennor Fields, during, like, so many, so many lives. I mean, this guy just let them all go. What a douche. Or he could take the ring yeah, and put it on and use it for good. Well, I would, I, I, he should have done that. Jeez. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? I would like to see that. What could possibly go wrong? Oops. That's the first thing that went wrong. Um, so there we have it. Yeah. The 1977 Hobbit, the gateway drug for me into the world of fantasy. And I read the books after watching this. And me as well. I, uh, very much the same. So um, maybe why people like how people found Tolkien and why people like Tolkien might be because of this experience, um, the OG film, and then people like Tolkien, so maybe they might go on and they might like uh, George R. R. Martin. They might like all the other fantasy that we have. Yeah. They might like but uh, not Robert, Lewis. Robert Jordan. <laughs> they might like C.S. Lewis. Oh, fine. Everything. Um, but certainly, you know, if Tolkien is the father of modern, epic, epic fantasy, mo epic modern fantasy, at least, yeah. Um, well, let's just discern it from more modern fantasy, right? Like Martin. Um, then anyway, this could be the, the gateway to a lot of. People liking all the stuff that's around today, the, yeah. the epic world building that we find today. We find it in everything. We we find it in Marvel. Yeah. Right? We find it in um what's the other uh the other thing that's doing a lot of world building now is um uh uh the Star Wars. Uh, well Star Wars obviously that that's we've like you said, the Game of Thrones worlds, we've got um what else? Uh there's DC. Um there is you know Orlando uh, Bloom is in um what uh Carnival Row. Oh that's okay. another world. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, we've got the the world of the golden compass. That's yes, one of the books. Yes. That his his um, dark yep. material. Yep, the, the the show version of that is quite good. Um, his dark um, materials. His dark materials. Yes. I, ha- I haven't. I watched a little bit of it, and it's a cool show. I just failed to really dive into it. Um, anyway, so world building is huge now. Maybe yeah. because of this little animated feature that could. It, Jude. it. I think it definitely, uh, definitely helped. If nothing else, it, it at least helped uh, get a lot of people into that. A lot of people of our generations. Um, and uh, you know, it continues to hold up rather well for the type of film it was and the type of adaptation it was. You know, I don't think we found too many faults. Um, I mean, I'm going to take yeah. the Jackson movies over it. Of course. But, you know, Any but day? in terms of like an introductory point, like if you've got a younger child or if you're looking for nostalgia, I think it's a it's a great jumping off point and a great uh, intro- introduction to these worlds. Totally. Um, and uh, incidentally, uh, when, uh, you know, to go back a little bit to the end there when... Uh, Gandalf is talking to Bilbo about the ring and about what it's going to mean and stuff. Uh, did you feel that uh, perhaps uh, Rankin and Bass at that point were expecting to do the second movie, to do the Lord of the Rings films? Because it felt like they were probably expecting to lead right into there and not have a uh, ate some downtime in between Ooh. this and uh, Return of the King. Undoubtedly. Why else would they leave it like that? Yeah. But um, I have to say, I'm kind of glad that the pr- production did shift because I do like the the take on the Lord of the Rings a little bit more. It's a little bit more adult. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that next week. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this um, version of the podcast talking about something other than the TV show. Um, my name is Rob Law, and uh, I will now bid you a fond adieu and leave you to say a few parting words. And I've been Jude Fox, and if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at youtalkingtome at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group at you talking to me about the fellowship. And I just want to remind everyone to like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating wherever you find your podcasts, and share with your friends to help grow the fellowship. For now, bye-bye.